Where are we turning to? Psalm 15. Psalm 15. For those of you that are visiting, we've been going through a study on the Ten Commandments, and we are at the Ninth Commandment, Thou shalt not bear false witness. So in about next week, I think we'll be um, completed with the Ten Commandments. Um, and then the week after that, I'm going to start a study on the book of Esther, looking at God's providence. It won't be a, a thorough study. We'll just kind of walk through the book of Esther. And I'll point out several texts within the book of Esther that I think are uh, great reminder, reminders of that wonderful doctrine of God's providence. And then we'll go into our Easter sermon series um, called The Road to Calvary, in which we'll look at various decisions and things that are done on the road to Calvary in the life of Jesus. Psalm chapter 15, or Psalm 15, not chapter, but just Psalm 15. All right, hear now the reading of God's word. O Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent, and who shall dwell on your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right, and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue, and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his neighbor, his friend, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money at interest, and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. For all flesh is as grass, and the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord shall endure forever. And this is the word that will be taught unto you. Amen and amen. Well, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, indeed, we have a glorious privilege to come before you today and be instructed by your word. And so we ask humbly that what we know not teach us, what we have not give us, and what we are not make us, for the power of your Holy Spirit and for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Um, several years ago, I was listening to a lecture by a noted um, psychologist and professor. And it was a brilliant lecture and um, very engaging. And in the midst of listening to this lecture afterwards, um, rightfully so, a bunch of people came up to him and started asking him questions. And about the seventh person in, someone uh, asked the question or somebody came up to him and said, my life is an absolute mess. Um, I have all sorts of mental issues, and um, my world seems to be in absolute chaos. And then the person asks, what can I do to turn my life around and improve my mental health? And without skipping a beat, this noted professor and psychologist said, start ordering your life around the truth. Start telling the truth. 
In fact, in his practice, he says one of the first things he does when people come in is he gives them a questionnaire, and when they fill it out, the very next time they meet, he just starts asking them questions right off the questionnaire. What is your name? Where do you live? How old are you? And he just keeps going down the line. And here's what he said as he wrapped up um, this particular statement to the person that asked him the question. He looked at them and he said, nothing destroys your mental health. Nothing destroys your life. Nothing disorders you like lies. Telling lies. But at the same time, there is nothing that can transform your life. There's nothing that completely turn around your life and improve your mental health quite like telling the truth and being truthful to yourself. Now, to most of us in this room, that would seem like a very simple answer to a very complex question. But I think this professor has his hand on the pulse. What's interesting to me is we live in what is known now as a post-truth world, a world in which we are told constantly that truth is relative, and we're told that there's no such thing as objective truth. And in a world like this, can you and I ever think that people can live normally and have a normal perspective on this world? The answer to that question is no. Truth matters. Do you realize that you, in fact, were made for truth? In Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, the word of God says, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and a praise, think on these things. Why does God want us to think on these things? Because our brains were made for truth. Our hearts were made for truth. That's why the word of God constantly draws us back to truth. And you know what? Even though we live in a world of lies where people tell lies frequently and do whatever they can to get up on one another through lies, isn't it interesting that our world craves the truth? I'll give you just one example. I remember back in 2005, a report came out. And um, it said, and this is what the report said. The report said that integrity was the most looked up word on the internet. An online dictionary. Integrity. To date, integrity is still in the top five. I did some excellent research on this. To date, integrity is still the top five word on the internet. Research. Why is that? Why integrity? Because even though we live in a world that says this truth is relative or there's no such thing as objective truth, isn't it interesting that people still want people with integrity in their lives? If you're hiring, you want to hire people with integrity. If you're looking for a spouse or someone to date, you want someone with integrity. You want to surround yourself with people of integrity. Integrity still matters in our world today. And in the passage before us, what do we see? We see God telling us that integrity is the prerequisite to stand in his holy temple. If you're in here today, what is God calling all of us to? A lifestyle of integrity, a lifestyle of truth in every aspect of our life. A lifestyle in which we are truth tellers. I remember I had a friend. Um, he wasn't actually my friend. He was more an acquaintance in high school. And, um, and I'll never forget, he, he was just a young man given over to lies. And, and we used to joke around with him all the time. They said, well, how do we know that Carson 
is lying. Well, his lips are moving, right? That's how we knew Carson is lying. Well, you know the opposite should be true of a Christian. How do we know a Christian is telling the truth? Because their lips are moving. If you're in here today, your life should be characterized by truth-telling. And that's what the ninth commandment is all about. It's calling us away from a life of lies and deception and toward a life of honesty and integrity. And so for the time that we have remaining, I want to look at three things very quickly. First of all, what does it mean to live a life of integrity or with integrity? What does it mean to live a life with integrity? Second, what does a lifestyle of integrity look like? And third, how can we live a lifestyle of integrity? First, what does it mean to live with integrity? Notice with me in verse number two. Now, the, the passage began just for a little context. I think here, this happened when, um, when uh, David wanted to build a tabernacle for God, and God says, no, I'm not going to let you build the temple. You're a man of blood. And that threw David in, in disarray, and maybe he started thinking, who could stand in God's temple? Who, who's the one that could stand before the Lord? And David immediately starts answering that question. And this question shows us what does it mean to live with integrity. Notice with me in verse number two. He who walks blamelessly. Let's pause there for a moment. You know the word blamelessly is also the word integrity. Maybe you might have a Bible like that. I've noticed it in the amplified version and in the voice. The word there for blameless is the word integrity. Now what does integrity mean? The word integrity comes from the word integer. For those of you that know math or like math, and most of you probably don't, an integer is a what? A whole number, as opposed to a fraction. And so what is this passage saying? What, what does it mean to be blameless? To be blameless means that your life is a whole life, not a fraction. If I could say it a little bit differently, it means this. It means that you're not one way in private, and a different way in public. It means that you're the same at church as you are when you go elsewhere. It means to have a life that is whole. I remember um, reading an article, it was from the 1800s, and, and this has been attributed to a number of people, but it was a satirical article. And it talked about, um, in the article, it talked about a parable that was given. And here's the parable. Uh, a man wrote to 12 of his friends. And in it, uh, he, he gave them one simple note. And here's the note. Flee, all has been discovered. And, and within 24 hours, the story goes, all of them fled. Right? All of them skipped town. Now, why did all of them skip town? Maybe their conscience got the better of them. And again, I think this is a parable. Maybe it didn't actually happen. But if we were to isolate why all of them skipped town, the reason is because these men were not men of integrity. They lived one way in the public eye, but they lived a different way in private. Let me ask you a question today. What if someone gained access to all your emails and texts? private conversations and all your actions for the last six months. Would you stay put or would you flee town? Now that's, a, that's an interesting question because it gets at the heart 
of what God is talking about when he says that we ought to walk blameless. We ought to be whole. You know, James says a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. What does it mean to be double-minded? It means to be a fraction. Half of you wants to serve the Lord. One-eighth of you wants to live in the world. Another eighth of you wants to be a celebrity. And another quarter of you wants to climb the corporate ladder, right? I think that's a hole, by the way. I, you know, you, I know some of you math uh, people come to me afterwards, Pastor, that's, that's one and one quarter. But, but listen to me today. The, the, the whole purpose of being called blameless isn't, doesn't mean that we're sinless. No, in fact, the person that's blameless, the uh, person that, that's whole, the person that walks with integrity, understands that they're sinful. In fact, they, they willingly talk about these, their sin because they want to walk in the light. That's the whole point. And it's people that understand their sin and is willing to talk about their sin and receive freedom. They're the people that belong into the temple of the Lord. You know, one of the things, and, and this is a, a fraction of like just growing up and being in church for a significant period of my life. Isn't it interesting? The very place where you and I should feel free to talk about our sin and feel free to, to not be judged as a result of our sin is in church, right? But what often happens in church, what often happens in church is that when we come and when we're honest about our sin and honest about our struggle, people judge us and look at us as pariahs. Beloved, that ought not to be the case. I was talking to somebody recently, and they said, you know, there are times when I think people will feel more comfortable in a crack house than in the church of the Lord. Because they're not judged there. Now, again, that might be a little bit extreme. But the fact of the matter is, that is true. When you come into the house of the Lord, this should be the last place that you should hide your sin. This should be the last place you should feel uh, condemned as a result of your sin. On the contrary, this should be a place where you can come and you could find healing and expression, uh, healing for your sin in the house of the Lord. Why? Because it's not that you're sinless, but you're honest about your sin. And that's the foundation of the ninth principle. That you and I, to walk blameless, is to be whole, is to not be a fraction, but to be an integer. Someone who's honest and open about who they are. Now let's look at, quickly, the second point. What is the lifestyle with integrity looks like? Uh, is the second point. What does a lifestyle of integrity look like? Now, we have to look at verse 3 and 5 to see what a lifestyle of integrity looks like. And there's, there's a lot that I could say here, but I only want to isolate four things. The first one is a lifestyle of integrity, or a person of integrity speaks the truth in their hearts. Notice verse number 2. They speak the truth in their heart. Calvin says, notice that it doesn't say speak the truth from his heart, but speaks the truth in his heart. And for a while, I sat down and I thought about that. I was like, why that distinction? Because Calvin, uh, the French theologian uh, John Calvin, doesn't say why. 
And I was sitting down there for at least an hour thinking, why, why would you say from your heart and not in your heart? Why, why is that such an important distinction? And then it hit me. No, it didn't like literally hit me. Nothing like fell down and hit me. But I mean the reality of what's being said hit me. Think about it for a moment. When you meet someone and they speak from the heart, right? What, what does that mean? That means that that person speaks sincerely or, or from, from their emotion. Everything about them looks sincere. But that's different from speaking the truth in your heart where the truth takes up residence in your heart. Let me explain it like this. Uh, for those of you that have raised children, you've had this happen to you before. You're laying down. It's 2 o'clock in the morning because they always come at 2 o'clock in the morning, right? When REM sleeps happens and you're trying to get comfortable and rest. And they come to you and they shake you and they said, hey, daddy, the, there's monsters underneath my bed. And they're, they're panicking, right? And every fiber of their being says that there's a monster under the bed. And, and I say to myself, you know, and I say to them, like, look, there's no monsters under the bed. And even if they were, they're really tiny monsters and nothing will happen to you, right? I'm kidding. I never say that, right? But, but what do we do? Well, we get up. We get a flashlight, and we show them there's no monsters underneath the bed. Don't you see? But still, still, everything about what they're saying says that there's actually a monster underneath the bed, and they believe that with all their hearts, and they're sincere because they're speaking from the heart. And here's what Calvin is trying to say. I believe this. That it's possible to speak from your heart sincerely but you could be sincerely wrong. And the reality, brothers and sisters, is this. We need to make sure that the truth is in our hearts. Not that we just speak from the heart. You know, often in our society today, I hear the term, my truth. I'm just speaking my truth. Now, your truth might be true, but then your truth might be wrong. And what you should be speaking isn't necessarily your truth, but the truth of God's word. Why do you think the psalmist in Psalm 1911 says, Your word have I hid in my heart so that I might not do what? Sin against you. The psalmist didn't say, My truth I have hidden in my heart so that I might not sin against you. No, no, no. He said, Your truth. The only thing that you and I know to be true true truth, is the word of God. Why? Because God is true. And the Bible says over and over again, let God be true and every man a liar. The Bible establishes God's truth to be the only truth that's in our hearts. Now, there are times when lies take up residence in, my, in our heart. And notice the biggest lie that takes up residence in your heart. Lies about God. Look at Psalm 14.1. It says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's the biggest lie each and every one of us tell ourselves. And it's the lie about God. Either, and maybe this is some of you inside here today, either that God doesn't exist, or we tell the lie in our heart that God is not good, or we tell the lie in our heart that God does not love us, or we tell the lie in our heart that God will not provide for us. Either way, 
All of those things are lies that we allow to steep in our heart and to take residence up in our heart. And the Bible tells us this. You know what lies, when they come into our heart, what do they do? They come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. A lie is an intruder in your heart. And you know what you don't do with intruders? You don't allow them to sit down and eat dinner with you. You don't play catch with an intruder. You don't invite them to, to sit down and have a nice, pleasant conversation. No, you expel intruders. In the same way, the word of God tells us that we should be vigilant in, expen- in expelling lies and allow the truth to take up residence in our hearts. So that's the first thing. Notice the second thing real quick. A person of te- integrity does not slander or gossip. Verse number three. He do who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor. As we were reading um, the question and answer from the larger catechism, one of the things it says uh, in the second line, and the good name of our neighbors. That's what it means to keep uh, the ninth commandment. What does it mean by the good name of our neighbors? It means we shouldn't slander or gossip about our neighbors. Why? Because that harms the, the name of our neighbor. That's what slander and gossip does about others. It harms their name. The word slander here is an interesting word. It has the idea of uh, foot or feet. And the idea behind this is a, a spy that goes around on foot and collects information and data about other people just so that they can uh, tear down this person's name. Beloved, hear me today. Slander and gossip doesn't just destroy one person. It destroys a number of people. One commentator said it like this, and I love the way he put it. He said that slander and gossip kill three people. The one who speaks it, the one who listens to it, and the one whom it is spoken of. Why should you and I as Christians not slander and gossip about one another? Because it destroys. It destroys. And going around and talking about people and tearing down their name is the opposite of what a Christian is supposed to do. In fact, it's antithetical to what it means to be a Christian. Why? Because the gospel says that our feet shouldn't be uh, used to go around to slander people. In the exact opposite, our feet should be used to go and take the gospel to people. To speak the truth of the gospel. The Bible says, how beautiful are the feet of those who carry the gospel. Romans 10, 9 through 5. That's what it's supposed to be for. Now, who is the greatest slanderer in our world today? None other than Satan. The Bible says he goes about to and fro, collecting information about God's people. And then delivering it before the throne of grace. Thankfully, we have an advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous, that takes his lie and casts it away. And notice, I want you to see the third thing. The third thing. It's found uh, another way we could see the lifestyle of somebody who um, walks with integrity. Is notice down in verse number four. It says, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord. 
who swears to his own hurt and does not change. Now, what does it mean to swear to our own hurt and does not change? It means that it's a person of his word or her word. A person of integrity is a person of their word. You know, uh, recently there's been a number of high-profile cases that I've been watching online. Yes, I, you know, I, I like to watch those kinds of things. Maybe not the best use of my time, but I do. Um, and one of the things that still interests me is that every time somebody takes the stand, what do they make them do? Take an oath. And the oath goes a little something like this. I promise, uh, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. Now, why do they make them take an oath? Because in a court of law, an oath is very important. Your oath could send someone uh, to their death, or your lies could send someone to, to their death. Speaking the truth is held up as paramount. So what is God saying here? God is saying this. A Christian is always under oath. There's never a time a Christian is not under oath. When you become a Christian and you take upon your, your lips the name of Jesus Christ, you automatically tell the world, I am a truth teller. The Bible says that let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's who we are. We don't have to take oaths as Christians for this one reason. People should know us to be truth tellers. Notice uh, the fourth thing I want to put to your attention. And it's found uh, later in verse number five. He who does not put out his money at interest. And then the second line, and does not take a bribe against the innocent. What does it mean to not take a bribe against the innocent? It means simply this. Your integrity is not for sale. Christian, hear me. Your integrity is not for sale. I remember uh, hearing uh, one, of my, uh, pre one of the preachers I used to listen to quite often. He talked about when he was a young man, he went to preach one of, uh, for the first time one, uh, a sermon. And he didn't know what an honorarium was. And so he got up, he preached the sermon, and then when he came down afterwards, a deacon came to him and handed him an envelope. And he said, what's this? And he says, it's an honorarium. He said, oh, no, I, I'm not going to be bought. You're not going to cause me to change the gospel. There's this. No way I'm taking your money. And the deacon said, no, 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 calm down, calm down. You don't understand. I'm not trying to buy what you say. I'm not trying to buy the gospel from you. I'm just trying to give you an honorarium. This is what, this is what normally happens, right? Now, I appreciated that young pastor's instincts. Because the reality of, is, the reality of it is David is saying here that you and I, our integrity is never for sale. That's why a Christian doesn't pad their resume. That's why a Christian does not cheat on their tax return. That's why a Christian doesn't inflate their expense account. Because our integrity is never for sale. And ultimately, it belongs to the Lord. Now, the third and final thing I want to say is this. How can we live a lifestyle of integrity? Notice with me the last line in verse number five. He who does these things shall never be moved. You know, the part of this that um, is particularly concerning to me is those first uh, five words. He who does these things. 
And can I tell you, when I read through this list, if I were being honest, and I am, these things don't describe me. Imagine if I put my name in the pronoun. Or imagine if you put your name in these pronouns. Dennis walks blamelessly and does what is right. Dennis speaks the truth in his heart. Dennis does not slander with his tongue. And Dennis does no evil to his neighbor. Now I'm going to stop there. I wouldn't be able to finish. See, the point of this text isn't that we do these things. The point of the text is to remind us who actually accomplished these things. If I read this and put my name in this, this would be a crushing list. But when I substitute Jesus' name in this, then this passage makes so much more sense. Jesus walks blamelessly, and Jesus does what is right. Jesus always spoke the truth in his heart. Jesus never slandered with his tongue. Jesus never did any evil to his neighbor. Jesus never took up a reproach against his friends. In Jesus' eyes, a vile person is despised, but Jesus always honors those who fears the Lord. Jesus swore to his own hurt and never changed. Jesus never put his money out in interest, and Jesus never took a bribe against the innocent. Jesus will never be mocked. That's the point of this passage. Now, you might say, well, Pastor Dennis, that's good for Jesus, but how does this relate to me? Well, it relates to you by your union with Christ, that when you give your life over to Christ, and when you repent of your sins, what is true of Jesus then becomes true of you. Because of, your, because of union with Christ, we now stand blameless before the throne of grace, before God's throne of grace. You say, well, Pastor Dennis, I don't understand. How does that work? Let, let me give you an example. When I, um, when I first met my wife, um, she said, hey, if, if we're going to get married, you have to go and see my father. And I said, okay. And he said, and she said, you know, you have to kind of win him over. And I said, challenge accepted. Right? I mean, you know, and I, I felt a little full of myself. I said, you know, I'm somewhat of a likable guy. This should, this should work out. And, um, and so when I went to go visit her father, uh, let's just say it didn't go as well as I thought it would. Right? And in fact, it didn't go smoothly at all. But over time, as I went by the house and, and he got a little bit more comfortable with me, you know, he let me sit in his chair and brought me over his food and you know, he said, hey, you know, uh, do you want to read some of my books? And, and he started warming up to me a little bit. And it was nice. And one day as I was sitting down there, my wife was over here, her parents were here, and I think we had one or two children running around, a thought dawned on me. The only reason why I'm in this house eating Bill's food, sitting in his chair, watching his television, and enjoying his fellowship, is because of my wife. If I just knocked on his door without Theresa, and I said, hey, Bill, you don't know me, 
I don't know you, but I want to I wanna come in your house. I want to sit in your chair. I want to watch your television, and I want to eat your food. You know what Bill would have done? Boom. <laughs> and he had every reason to. Why? Because he didn't know me. No, no, no. He got to know me because of his daughter. Because of the union with his daughter, Bill was ready and able to let me come into his house and fellowship with him. Beloved, that's the essence of the gospel. That's what uh, David is saying here. The reason why I wasn't removed from Bill's house was because I was firmly established in my relationship with his daughter. And the reason why you and I will never be moved is because we can never be removed from our relationship with Jesus Christ. And the reason why at the end of the age we can stand blameless before the throne of grace is because we have been presented there by Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be in union with him. That's how you and I can sit in this space today and be blameless. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Father, what a glorious reality that even though our inclination is to be liars, we are reminded over and over in scripture that when you look at us, you see people that are covered in the truth. And because of what Christ has secured for us by way of union with him, we can all now in this place be counted as blameless if we but accept you. Bless us now in Jesus' precious holy name. Amen.